Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, uh, let's get into uh, a discussion that I guess a lot of people uh, have been having. uh, But we wanted to find out if, in fact, the frontline workers are uh, still not being respected enough when it comes to. uh, And we were talking about that uh, just a moment or two ago, taking calls when I was talking minimum wage at 15. It was slated to go to 15. It's actually 14. So uh, my bad. And thanks for correcting me there. uh, All you folks who called in. As to uh, the folks who, though, are unionized and they're frontline workers in the province of Ontario, when we had about two and a half, no, it was an hour and a half ago that they had an emergency session in the legislature to extend the order by 28 days, as Doug Ford had said yesterday they were going to do. One of the considerations by the public sector union is that the uh, public sector and their workers have been left out of the discussion. Fred Hahn represents on them. He is the president of CUPE Ontario. And uh, let's hear his grievances. Mr. Hahn, good to have you back on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Thanks for the invite. Well, tell me, uh, so what is your concern primarily? Is it uh, the process or lack of the process or not being consulted? Well, it is a lack of a process. Look, we all know that we are living through unprecedented times. And there is a health, public health emergency that we are all grappling with. But the truth of the matter is that in terms of providing public services, particularly in healthcare, but across our communities, the best way to make decisions about how to handle this crisis means that we all have to be in the same boat, rowing in the same direction. We all have to be on the same team. The government talks about that, but what they have not done is institute any real way to consult with frontline workers. In fact, there is no mechanism for the voices of our members and the things that they've been calling for for some time to actually be part of the planning on how we move forward here. All right. Uh, You state as well that you think this overrides collective agreements. Well, in fact, uh, there are emergency orders that have been issued under the state of emergency, the state of emergency that was extended today. And there is a a series of orders that have been issued under the state of emergency, um, particularly for our members in long-term care and public health in water and wastewater, in developmental services. There are orders that set aside parts of collective agreements that have to do with scheduling and with regula- and with you know, hiring and with who can do which jobs. Uh, all of these things are, you know, in some ways, you know, there's a rationale in terms of the emergency that we are all dealing with. The challenge is there's still no mechanism for frontline workers' voices to be heard in terms of how we actually deal with this stuff together. Look, for more than... A decade. Our members who work in long-term care, as an example, have been ringing the alarm bells about the crisis in that system, about how far too many workers are part-time and precariously employed, about how they have to work at two or three sites just to stitch together enough income to support themselves and their families, about that how that doesn't provide good enough care for the seniors in those homes. But during a public health crisis like the one we're in now, we're seeing the real impact of successive governments ignoring this problem. It's not just in long-term care. The same thing happens in community agencies, in developmental services, in many of our workplaces that are actually quite important all the time. 
but particularly in times like these. So how then would you see your participation ideally? Well, look, you know, uh, in terms of personal protective equipment, for example, our members in healthcare and in long-term care have been asking for uh, access to better personal protective equipment for themselves, but also to keep residents in long-term care facilities and patients in hospitals safe during this public health uh, uh, you know, outbreak. Uh, and again, those voices haven't been heard. There's no formal mechanism. We occasionally, those of you in the media, people will cover a story. Some worker will say, we, we need more stuff. We've been trying as their representatives, as their union, to try to get that word out there. If there was a mechanism where government was sitting down with the representatives of frontline workers and with employers and saying, what's really needed here? And let's put that in place. That's how we can move forward. That's how we could have the kind of bold action we need uh, to deal with this crisis. All right. So a formal mechanism means uh, you'd be at a table when all of this was being discussed. So you'd be part of the inner sanctum. And you'd be, and there'd be like direct consultation as things are evolving and as things are changing. It feels like things change day by day. And, you know, what we've had so far is, you know, I will say, Various ministries will call. They will give us a heads up. We're going to do this, you know, in an hour. <laughs> We're going to make an emergency order. We're going to make this decision. When we raise questions, when we say, like, well, what about this? Have you thought about that? Have you, have you thought about the other corollary impact over here that might happen? Uh, instead, what we hear back is, like, you know, we'll take that into consideration. Thanks a lot. And then they move ahead. And, there's a, a lot of understanding that people feel like government has to act quickly here. This isn't just about acting quickly. It's about doing things that are best for the services and for the for people who are in our communities involved. And we know that our members uh, have the, the right information about what needs to happen in the best possible way to help stem the tide of the spread of this disease, but also to keep people safe in communities. Fred Hans with us, president of CUPE Ontario, again representing on 280,000 frontline workers in the province. Uh, these include long-term care workers, wastewater treatment workers, those in public health, developmental service workers, and so on and so forth. So the real front line. Do you believe that this may be a game changer insofar as protocols are now concerned? I mean, will you be brought into the loop going forward? Well, we certainly hope so. We continue to advocate for it, but I I really hope in the long term this is a game changer. You know, as I said, uh, for, for many years, people have been advocating around the need to invest in services to make sure that the people who are doing these jobs are respected. And that means not just, you know, recognizing that they're heroes or calling, you know, recognizing them during a crisis. It means making sure those jobs are full-time real jobs that people can actually support their families on, that, that they're paid in a way that makes sense. Look, when we look at what, what British Columbia is doing, for example, in relation to long-term care, they recognize the same kind of problems that are happening here are happening there. And they've decided to basically take over the system, to standardize the wages, to standardize the mechanisms that, uh, that allow for staffing across the province to make sure that this vital service is actually done, uh, conducted in a way that is best for residents in, in those facilities, but also for, uh, for the people who work there. And I think once there's a recognition of that, it's impossible to go backwards. Yeah, my sense is afterwards, uh, when we're finally through this thing, or for the most part, there's got to be some kind of public inquiry that hashes out uh, where things fell through the cracks or weren't addressed in a proactive way. I mean, look, uh, to wit, 
the 2003 SARS epidemic. Uh, supposedly, we learned a lot from that, but evidently uh, we didn't because stockpiles were diminished. Uh, certain PPE were allowed to lapse or were discarded. Uh, wouldn't you agree? I mean, somewhere along the, the food chain, the ball got dropped. Absolutely. And this, this happens when, and there's going to be enormous pressure when this is done. Governments are spending money as they should to support communities, to provide services, to support people. In fact, in Ontario, we need to do more of that. We aren't supporting people. Too many people here are falling through the cracks in ways that they aren't in other provinces, where there's additional supports on top of federal government supports being provided to people who are unable to work as a result of this crisis. Um, But, you know, there's going to be enormous pressure, right? Because like, hey, we've spent a lot of money and there's got to be a reckoning. And the reckoning has to be clear about the way we go forward here. We have to have real pandemic plans. We have to make sure that the advice of Uh, you know, that we learned in a situation like SARS, sure, that advice was taken, people created stockpiles, and then we forgot about them. And people were destroying them. Uh, Like, you know, we have to learn those lessons, and we have to make sure that we never, ever repeat that again. Uh, But we're still in the midst of this crisis. We need government in Ontario to do even more than it's doing today. We need them to support municipalities, for example, uh, and to make sure that vital services that are happening in communities continue because municipalities are kind of put in a box. As we are, uh, you know, businesses aren't being able to pay their taxes, people can't pay their rent. My gosh, we need real action from government to get us through this today, and then we need to make sure we all remember and learn the lessons that we're learning today about how we need to move forward to prevent the kind of things we're seeing uh, while we're going through this crisis. Fred, do you uh, sense uh, in a way that uh, because, you know, everybody's now appreciative or at least saying so uh, that, you know, the frontline workers are exposed to uh, these dangers and yet, you know, they're the ones doing the so-called grunt work. Uh, Will this give you leverage in negotiations going forward, do you think? Well, I don't think this is about leverage. I think this is about actually recognizing that people were telling the truth. So that for years, when our members have been talking about how important these jobs are, how they need to be recognized as important, how they need that support on the front line to be able to continue to provide these services in the best possible way, I hope that now people will just remember that that's the truth. Finally, I've got to ask, because I understand, you know, these emergency orders are, are supposedly temporary, but you've got concerns that they may not be. Why are you not confident? Well, uh, they're temporary under a state of emergency, but the state of emergency, as we just know, has been extended in the province by another 28 days. Uh, We don't know uh, what the end result, uh, when when the end of this will come. And the whole point of these uh, ability to make temporary orders under a state of emergency is to kind of be able to then have people convene a process to put their put a system in place to deal with it, not just to keep extending emergency orders that, you know, remove systems that have been there in place, remove a mechanism for people to talk about, remove people's rights in their collective agreements indefinitely. So now's the time that the government can say, look, we've extended the state of emergency. Let's convene a mechanism for workers and their representatives to actually help make the plans that are going forward. So we aren't just in a position to remove people's rights and remove people's collective agreements to deal with an emergency, but instead we're making that plan together. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if this uh, will bring about some change that uh, would be to your satisfaction. I appreciate your weighing in and uh, bringing your concerns to the table. Appreciate you uh, you having me on your show. Please take care. Please stay safe.
and you and yours. Uh, Fred Hahn, president of QP Ontario, on those considerations that uh, they weren't brought into the consultations, the broader consultations, and uh, perhaps going forward, you know, because we know, having heard from the Nurses Association as well, uh, they were pleading, imploring that, you know, PPE uh, be brought up to reasonable levels, and uh, then we got caught short. And I understand nobody anticipated the severity of this thing, uh, but needless to say, we had a foretaste of this back in 2003 with SARS. And there were enough people in the know who suggested, you know, that we were just on the clock as far as uh, having to meet another pandemic or epidemic, I guess, at the time. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.